We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode number 90. Unmissable Opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning in. You can tap in your app. Check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can also follow us on social media. We've got a Facebook group. It's closed. Just ask to join. We'll let you in. And you can join that conversation there. We're also on Twitter, of course, at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13. Because I'm Dan Hilton. He's Frances Tomas. And we did miss all of you. I know we've been gone since the beginning of the month, but we've been on some pretty healthy and important vacations, got some time away, but also with the World Cup starting maybe potentially by the time you have this in your ears in less than 24 hours for us while we're recording, there are still so much to talk about. And Frances, it seems like this is just a full-time job, right? There is just stuff to talk about every single day. There really is. And obviously the whole world is focusing on Russia and all of the news coming out of the World Cup camps of the different national teams. I mean, It looks like Spain are trying to sabotage themselves, um, thanks to the Real Madrid people. But yeah, every single day there's something different. And, you know, we are delighted to be able to bring you the news from a Barca perspective. The Barcelona Podcast 90 starts right here. Yeah, and since it is the summertime and we're down to one show a week and we're again just working through the Barcelona offseason, the players get some time off. But I think, Frances, you know, you and I are more like the Jasper Sillisons of the team as far as just having our off time and working a little bit of the important things. But the rest of the squad, in terms of Barcelona, is in Russia right now. They're all ready to start the World Cup. And that's why today we just have a La Ronda. And we have tons of questions. And I think, as you mentioned in that intro, the most important place to start is with Spain. So we've got a few questions on this. Ramon asked, thoughts on Lepetegui's firing? How are we faring with the rumor mill? So we'll get back to that question later. But first, we're going to talk about Lepertegui. Of course, Hulan Lepertegui being let go by Spain. The press conference was just a few hours ago, most likely going to be replaced by his assistant, another former guy who has connections to Real Madrid, which is where Lepertegui is going. As Victor also asked, what was Florentino and Lepertegui thinking in terms of having this all happen on the eve of the World Cup? And Frances... There is just a buzz around that Spanish national team. They found a way to capture the headlines less than 24 hours from everybody else. It doesn't matter. The other 32 teams, they all have their own things happening. But Spain are have captured the headlines. Absolutely. I don't quite understand 
where it all comes from, to be honest. I mean, um, we need to start from the beginning. Zidane resigned. Um, I think it was, people were hugely surprised about it. And, you know, initially I was, but when you think about it, this is a manager who values winning the league and domestic success above everything else. And he got, what, 15, 17 points behind Barca by the end of the season. Um, when you finish that far away from the champions, it is clear you don't have the full respect and the full cooperation of your players. Something is actually missing in terms of motivation. And I think that Zidane did the right thing, stepping down. I mean, obviously Real Madrid is a club that have been excelling in the Champions League forever. Um, winning three out of the four last Champions League, obviously, is something that we're quite envious at Barca, to be honest. But I think that football, and especially team, because it's a team sport, is much more than that. And I totally understand Zidane's decision. Now, from that moment on, it's clear that um, Forentino was looking for a replacement. We all thought it was going to be someone much more flashy than Lopetegui actually ended up being. But, you know, he was coaching at Castilla before. He played for Real Madrid for not many games. I think it was four or five. Um, and obviously he played for Barca for one or two games as well during these Zubizarreta years. Um, he never became a starter. And um, Johan Cruyff never really actually preferred him to either Zubizarreta or Busquets. And that is Carlos Busquets, which is the father of Sergio now, obviously. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a sensible choice given the fact that he knows the under-21s who are now... Um, all over the Spanish national team, like um, Asensio, Lucas Vázquez, and, and Nacho, and etc. And he knows the Real Madrid players, current players, also fairly well. So I think it makes sense. But from a Spanish perspective, you've got um, the biggest tournament in the world about to start, and your manager, rather than developing and, and sort of living by example in terms of um, let's work together, we're all, we're all in this, we need to support each other, which are the sentences that are splashed all over the, the Spanish national camp, he goes and starts negotiating his way out, like literally three or four days before he starts. The Spanish Federation get, gets wind of it and obviously does the only thing they can do, which is take, an, take action. Whether it was to sack him right now or sack him right after the World Cup, I think it's, it's debatable. I still think it's the right thing because... You know, you need to go for values. You need to go for what you are as a person. And when the trust is broken at that level, um, it is clear something needs to happen. And I am fully behind the decision to sack him because, you know, what are the Barca players going to feel? What is What are the Madrid players going to feel? And, you know, what are the other clubs feeling? So, for example, Thiago, that is someone who seems to be a part of the rumor mill this summer. It is reported that Bayern Munich are prepared to, to sell him then if he plays him a lot, then the media is going to start saying that Lopetegui actually wants Thiago to join Real Madrid, etc. And I think that's something that we don't need. And, you know, Fernando Hierro um, played the World Cup, I remember in 94, but he must have been the one before and the one after as well. And yeah, I think, you know, he knows the play as well. He's been working for the Spanish Federation for a while and I think it's a good appointment. So I do wish them all the best. Um, although I clearly prefer Messi to win the whole thing, but, you know, that's a different point. Yeah, I think for the Spanish team and their success at the World Cup, it seems like we're so close to the tournament that this might not even affect the on-field product. And if anything, it can almost you know, take a, a lift off of the players themselves because if Spain crashes out of this World Cup, it's going to be blamed on Lepertegui for causing all this drama beforehand. If they, let's say, somehow they lose to you know Portugal and Morocco gets out of the group and Spain finished third or some cataclysmic thing happens. And in the same respect, if Spain is able to go 
you know, the full distance, a lot of that credit is going to be given not even to Lapertegui, but it's going to say that this whole saga kind of galvanized the players. They came together, they were unified, and a lot of the credit's going to go to the players. So it's for the guys on that, the 23-man roster, you know, this seems to almost to be a, a win-win situation. And for, for me, like looking at some of the questions we had also from Nahad and Bullseye49, the relationship between Lepertegui and what's happening at Real Madrid and the Spanish FA, I think for a lot of Barcelona fans, you kind of just roll your eyes and say, well, yeah, obviously, we've known this has been the case since, you know, the, the, the first, very first World Cup that Spain was ever in. You know, you, you've known that, that Real Madrid and the, their connection to the Spanish FA, to the board of La Liga, and, you know, it's not a matter of controversy. Some things can be transparent as well. I mean, if, if Real Madrid are the most popular team, they take a lot of players from Real Madrid. When you're picking the U19s, the U17s, you, you know, if you're the Spanish FA, you begin by looking at the academies of Real Madrid, the academies of Barcelona, and you look at those players first and foremost as, you know, leaders, as youngsters, and then eventually they're the ones who go on to represent the national team. And so that, that tug and pull between the two teams, Barcelona and Real Madrid, and where they fit in the Spanish FA has always been a point of contention. So I think a lot of these players it shouldn't be surprised by anything that's happening, and I think they're going to roll with the punches. So Nohada actually asks also, what do you think? Why does PK get booed by Spain's crowd? And that's a funny thing that's going to happen, that because they're in Russia, I don't know if those big Spanish crowds at those stadiums are, are going to give... PK any louder booing than he would and I think there might be a separation between these two I don't think Lapertega is going to save PK from booze or nor do I think that it's going to mean that he's going to get even more booze because it's going to feel like the national team is represented more by Real Madrid than Barcelona yeah and I don't think it has anything to do with Lapertega at all um, it all depends on the Spanish fans intelligence to be honest um, in my eyes PK has done nothing wrong at all regarding the national team he's been a professional every time that he's joined he has risked his health. He's played injured. He has been playing for them since, you know, under 13s, under 14s. Um, always been called up, always professional, always respected by his teammates. So I don't really see what he's done wrong. Um, in terms of the independence of Catalonia, which is clearly the whole point of um, him being jeered and booed throughout the years, especially in the last three, four years, um, it all has to do with the fact that he people believe that he is for Catalan independence, although he's never said that. And that leads me to believe that, you know, it's all fueled by the media. I mean, he was talking to someone from El Chiringuito, which is an obnoxiously loud show, late TV in the in, in the Spanish national channel. And he was saying, you know, you are the ones that are fueling, you are the ones that are trying to sell stories. I haven't said anything in the for or against. So I think that Lopetegui's departure has got it's not really going to affect what the Spanish fans do. And um, I, my prediction is that at the beginning of the game, PK may get geared a little bit, and then depending on how the result goes, those boosts will get either worse or better. Um, if Spain are winning 5-0, you can be sure nothing else but you know the national anthem and campeones, campeones or whatever is going to be heard around the stadium. Um, and I, that, I do wish that that doesn't happen to PK because in my eyes, he doesn't really deserve it. No, certainly not. And transitioning to another guy that might get booed at the World Cup, not because of anything he's doing for France, but the club situation of Antoine Griezmann after his press conference the other day where he said, as expected, absolutely nothing. Because obviously with the past, 
you know, Griezmann cannot admit that he's available or cannot say that he's chosen Barcelona if Barcelona is his choice until July 1st, because obviously that's when he can sign with a new team. And so we have plenty of questions, whether it's Elliot asking who should we go for, Griezmann, Thiago, as you spoke about already, Erickson, that's been Christian Erickson, the, the Dane attacking midfielder, or Eden Hazard of Chelsea. James asks, with Griezmann now likely to stay at Atletico, who should the club look for as an alternative? Sapin, it feels like every transfer we're trying to make seems like to be like the Griezmann situation, as in, and this is actually a really good question that we'll delve into in a second, you know, why is every piece of business that Barcelona seemed to do this long drawn out saga and then you have then you have question from Matthew Lazardi I keep seeing talk of us signing Thiago if Griezmann doesn't come but he's not really an alternative to Griezmann is there a better plan B for a forward if we don't land Griezmann and so with all those questions being said I think there's two points here I think there's one you know what's happening with the Antoine Griezmann saga individually and two that question by Sapin is why is every transfer seem to go back and forth and that Barcelona, of course, the best players in the world, their clubs are going to want to hold on to them. That's why Coutinho and that Liverpool saga went on for so long. And that's why with Griezmann, Atletico Madrid, who also are one of the best clubs in the world, don't want to lose their sparkling forward to play alongside Diego Costa. He fits their system and he's been terrific for them. But I look at some of the other things that's also happening this summer, where you look at some of the rumors about the Frankie de Jong of Ajax and how Ajax absolutely does not want to sell because of all the turmoil they're having with a lot of their players saying they want out. De Jong actually not being one of those starters who've been vocal about being upset with what's happening at Ajax. And for de Jong, that's one that seems like it could last all summer. And he's a 21-year-old guy who's playing at Ajax that, while the name is a major world power, they are not a world power. They're a team that is, if they make the Champions League group stages, they wind up not ever making the knockout stages for decades now. And so for Ajax, you know, for them to be have the power and have the negotiating power to stave off Barcelona for a considerable amount of time, for a number of weeks, I think that's at the end of all this, much more worrying. I, I, Griezmann is, is not just a flash in the pan of this is a long, long saga. Barcelona fans have dealt with this thing every single summer now for, what, four or five years of the will they, will won't they, and you kind of have to play that game. And one of the questions we have is, with Pep Segura's situation being up in the air, is this a good thing or a bad thing for Barcelona? And, you know, we started this pot a year ago, Frances, talking about the board and their negotiating power and some of the distaste people have, but also the fact that Sochi seem to like the board and the board are doing the right things that the Sochis are supporting. So it seems like they're going to be in power throughout their whole term. And if the board isn't going to change, how does Barcelona possibly get negotiating power or should be better yet leverage, particularly when they're trying to have this mass exodus? A lot of points made in there. So I'm going to try and go back to the beginning. Um, the Griezmann situation, I don't, I mean, you can call me ignorant, but I haven't heard him saying he's coming. And I certainly haven't heard him to say that he's not coming. Um, this is someone who is under contract and cannot say either way. So once the 1st of July hits, then it is likely we'll hear either way. It may not happen until July the 10th, July the 11th, depending on whether France go deep in the World Cup. So... Barca Twitter and Barca social media is, I've been experiencing it for like 12, 13 years now. So, you know, I think I know what I'm talking about here. Um, people are all about ups and downs, you know, and I think the, the world has changed. And, and people now, especially online, they're very anxious and they're very, 
they're very impatient, you know. I'm not saying that I enjoy long transfer sagas, of course, no, they're a waste of time and they're a waste of they're a waste of life at the same time. But I don't really think things drag on that long. It's just these days, because of the immediateness of social media, the fact that everyone's checking their phones every two or three seconds, it suddenly feels that things drag on. But actually, transfers are always taking that long. Like, I remember when Cesc Fabregas um, was sort of rumored to come to Barca, that took three years. Um, and, you know, and people say, you know, it only happens at Barca. Well, it doesn't actually, because how long has David De Gea been rumored to join Real Madrid? That's been as far as I know, three or four years now, and, and he's still not there. I mean, I think he'll eventually end up at the Bernabeu, but, you know, that's a different point. As for the midfielders, I think Thiago will be a good choice, but, you know, um, as I said in the podcast before, he chose to leave us, so I'm not the biggest fan of going after players who left us in the first place, and if he does want to come, it will have to be in our terms, you know, it will have to be with a reduced salary, and it will have to be for a reasonable fee that matches his quality, but in my eyes, most importantly, his health. Because this is a guy that is injured, I was looking at it the other day, between 100 and 170 days per year. And, you know, last time I checked, a year is 365. So that's around 40% of the year that this guy is injured for. So if we are to sign him back, we need to take all of that into consideration. Um, at the risk of sounding repetitive and boring, I think the best choice for our midfield is to promote La Masia players. Um, Carlos Alagna obviously got injured. And he's going to be here for a little while, but, you know, hopefully we wish him all the best from here. And hopefully he will rejoin us, I would say, around November, October time. And uh, we can have him back in full fitness. Um, that is the reason why, as I've been saying around the whole season, really, since we found out he was coming, it would be better to get Arthur now than further on in the year. I mean, I don't really see the point of him joining us in January, to be honest. And as for Ericsson and Hazard and all the other names... I mean, the World Cup is about to start. I'm sure that in a week's time or two weeks' time, we're going to have between 3 and 97 new names to add to the midfielder debate. And I don't really want to get into that right now. Um, as I said, first priority is Griezmann. And he hasn't said it away. And then from then on, we, we move forward. Um, you mentioned about Pep Segura and the fact that Robert Fernandez was sacked. Um, again, people on social media are just outraged by everything. And... Um, I've read people saying, you know, Robert Fernandez did such a fantastic job and it's so unfair that he's going and we want Pep Segura out now. I mean, these people must be incredibly knowledgeable because in my eyes, Robert Fernandez hasn't really got done that well. You know, this is the guy behind a lot of the signings that we have to offload already. Um, I mean, if you look at the past two years since Robert has been here, we signed people like Dinier, um, Andre Gomez and, and people of the sort of that caliber and they haven't really done us any good. So I don't really blame the club for offloading Robert Fernandez at all. Um, Pep Segura, I think, is someone who believes that La Masia should take um, center stage. But then again, that's his words. That hasn't really been translated into actions. So I really do think that also needs a change. Um, Erika Vidal joined us. I think that's more of a sticker book move. Um, I think it is clear that Bartomeu is not very popular with the, not necessarily with the fan base, but absolutely with the players. And getting Abidal in his team is something that is going to bring people like, I don't know, Messi and Busquets and Piquet closer to him, or I think that's the plan. Um, I'm not going to judge whether Abidal would be fantastic as sporting director because he's never been a sporting director. You know, what I do know is that he's someone who 
throughout his career, he's been very personable. He's built a lot of relationships. Obviously, being a French international is going to sit very well with people like Dembélé, Griezmann if he joins us, and NTT, which is good. Um, but, you know, he spent a large, large, huge part of his career at Barca and he's got a good relationship between the Catalan and the Spanish um, circle as well. So from that respect, I think it's a great, great move. But I'm not going to say whether he's great at a sporting director level because he's never done it before. But what I do know is that I'd rather have my club um, ruled by legends, people who have made a difference for our club over the years, than people that, you know, may be good at the jobs but don't have any charisma and as we're seeing, you know, in the NBA and different leagues, uh, great players attack, attract great players. And, you know, footballers always listen to footballers who they admire, which is why a manager like Guardiola, a manager like Zidane, um, a sporting director, like, for example, Monchi, I know he wasn't a fantastic player, but he had lots of experience, actually do work. So I don't know if that answered all the questions <laughs> at once, but um, that's my views on everything that you mentioned. Yeah, I think you did a great job. And I'll also use this time to plug. Head over to barcelblog.com. You can read a longer article and, and um, a lot of words that were written about both Eric Albidal's appointment, Robert Fernandez leaving the club, as well as tying into our next question, we have a World Cup preview up on Barca Blog, so you can see where all of the different Barcelona players are playing and the group stage matches they have and little blurbs about you know what we thought was their potential of getting into the next rounds and see how far they can get in the tournament. That said, let's talk about it. Let's put it in podcast form, Frances. Campiones 16 asks, thoughts on the World Cup? Who do you think will win? And this is a tough one, Frances, with obviously the U.S. not in it. You know, I, I feel like I get divided in a hundred different ways, and this is just the feel you get on Barcelona Twitter that it seems like a lot of Kool-Aids just want Messi to get a World Cup uh, for the debate's sake, and for me, I think, you know, I, I'd like to be in that camp. I think that it would be great for his career, and Argentina, you'd say that uh, as far as their FA and as far as what they've done over the last few years, they're not deserving, but in the same respect, they've come so close now. Three finals, it feels like this group, honestly, with the hard work they've done, and it seems like unless they win the trophy, they don't get any credit. And to me, that's a shame where, again, they've made three final runs in Copa Americas and then the last World Cup in 2014 where they lose an extra time. And yet they say, oh, they didn't get the trophy. Then, you know, they clearly are are subpar. And I think that's that's a shame. And finally winning that trophy would put that argument to bed. And again, I think it's something that the players themselves deserve, even if the FA doesn't. That said, though, that's where my heart, I think, stands. But my gut is telling me that Germany... Should be the favorites to repeat. They have just as talented a squad, and unlike Argentina, who lost Manuel Lanzini and Sergio Romero, a midfielder and goalkeeper, and two of their starting eleven players, and unlike Brazil, who have Neymar, who has taken his good old time to come back to, to country, and he looks to be firing almost at on all cylinders again. But more importantly, it's two Barcelona players, Coutinho and Paulinho, in the midfield that really seem to be the engine that's pushing Brazil forward. They seem to be in really, really good form as far as national teams go, and that's always an important thing where when you look at the World Cup, I think this is an unfortunate thing to say, but it's more similar to the Champions League than it is to any other competition in that you only have to win or play, really, and then win the majority of or get enough points in enough of seven games that you wind up winning the World Cup. And with so few games, 
you know, those teams that can just get it done in every way and every result when they can when they can figure out ways to just break down opponents and whether that goal comes in the third minute or the 93rd minute, it doesn't matter as long as you get the one point when you need it to get out of your group. I mean, you look at Portugal winning the Euro back in 2016. They were not anywhere close to the best team in that competition, but they were, they were able to get things done. And as we remember, Ronaldo injured, not even playing. And it's Eder, a guy who had no shot of making the Portuguese World Cup squad because there are many more talented players. He's the guy that winds up being immortalized. And that's kind of how the World Cup goes, that if you're a team that can just get there, you're going to be Greece winning in 2004. That just tells you all you need to tell. But asking who to think will win the World Cup, it's so hard because the best team probably won't win. That's just how it works. In 2014, Germany were the best team in at the World Cup. They destroyed Brazil at home, and they earned that title. But in the same respect, you don't know who could win. And I think while people may say England... Could finally could could it be their year? Finally, France have such a talented roster. There's such a part of me that says just go with the ones who've been there before and say that Germany and Brazil should probably be favorites. And so I think my pick would be that Mark Andre Ter Stegen, while he may not be the starter for Germany, as you can read in our World Cup preview, I think he's going to be hoisting a trophy. I have to agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I also want Messi to win the World Cup. Um, I because I want Messi to win the World Cup, that's going to have to be Argentina as well. But I want to make that difference that um, I just want our best player to finally get his dream. I mean, he's given Barca fans so much over so many years. I think it's only fair. Um, in terms of the debate of him being the best of all time, I think he already is. I don't think he needs to prove anything to anyone. However, people who haven't really followed his career as closely or just watch the highlights of games um, or you know just look at history documentaries about football, etc., they may always go because of Maradona or, or Pelé. But to me, the competition is not even close now. But, you know, the World Cup would absolutely elevate him above those players, and rightfully so. Um, having said that, I don't think Argentina will win it. I think that team that lacks a lot of depth. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, injuries have been very unkind to them. But, you know, players like Mascherano, who four, eight years ago would have been outstanding, they are going to be still at the forefront of the team, but they're nowhere near as effective as they used to be. And I think the team lacks personality beyond Messi and that eventually would take its toll. Um, as far as teams who are complete, that could compete for the win overall. Um, I do agree with you. Uh, Germany, super strong. I think Brazil with Neymar magically recovering from an injury at the right time. Uh, please note the tone of those words. Um, I think they've got a chance as well. But for me, it will be very difficult for anyone to beat Spain. Um, let's not forget that, as you mentioned, the World Cup is a knockout. Um, you know, that's assuming we get through the group stage, which you can never assume anything, but I think Spain will, considering Morocco and Iran are in the same group. Uh, no disrespect, but I think we will. Spain will get through. And then from that point on, you need to find a team that can actually beat Spain. Um, you've got Sergio Ramos and Piqué at the back. You've got Jordi Alba and potentially Carvajal on the right. And you've got De Gea. That is a very, very strong back line and goalkeeper to beat. And football games at that level are won with experience. And they're also won with defensive solidity. And that Spain has plenty of. Up front, 
you've got Iniesta, although he's probably going to play 50 to 55 to 60 minutes, if that. But you've got other players like Isco. you obviously got Busquets that could, will control the whole thing. You've got David Silva. You've got um, Diego Costa, who's going to be annoying people, as he always does. So I think Spain have more than enough weapons up front in order to create goals, at least one a game. And I don't really see many, many teams scoring more than once against Spain. So because of that, I think Spain will go deep in the tournament and could win it. Obviously, losing the manager right before the start may not be the best thing to do. But to be honest, I think the Spanish players have got more than enough quality and experience to, in a way, coach themselves or let themselves be coached by someone with they, which they respect and with a little bit of football intellect. And Fernando Hierro absolutely has that. So I wouldn't rule Spain out at all. And I think two teams for me also to keep an eye on, I, I did mention France and Belgium would be another one where you look at talented rosters and those are two teams that have 23 of the most talented put-together teams, but it's whether or not they can really put everything together on the field. And looking at Spain in 2014 when they couldn't replicate, as you mentioned, that fine form in 2010, when those big countries crash out, it winds up being just a fanfare of stars and a lot of things happen and there's plenty of drama. So, you know, Spain seemed to be the team that obviously, again, with Upper Tegi, we're going to bring this full circle. They seem to be the, the squad just embroiled in turmoil right now. But that said, if Spain is able to put things together and they know exactly who they are and who they want to be on the field and they aren't affected by all the things off the field, France and Belgium are the two teams on the field that they're still kind of putting everything together and they could either be feast or famine and they could put on wonderful displays of individual talent and team play when you have the likes of Griezmann and Pogba. Of course, our friend Samuel Mtiti and Ousmane Dembele on those French squads on their day, they're absolutely fantastic, Arles Blus. But then Belgium, in the same respect, they have so much talent, particularly up front. And with Kevin De Bruyne pulling the strings in a deep-lying playmaker role, which is different than what he does for Man City, but if things aren't working and things start to break down, it could just be a glorious end with, uh, with these two, we'll call golden generations, which I think is uh, a trite and overused term um, because every team kind of says that, well, if we made the World Cup, then clearly we have enough talented players to maybe be considered a golden generation. So nevertheless, Frances, we'll wrap this one up. Another edition of the Barcelona podcast is I got we got to get out of here because we've got to prepare ourselves to sit down for a full month straight and watch a lot of soccer in Russia as all these teams 32 plan on making the World Cup. But then again, we've got plenty of transfer rumors. We didn't talk that much. We talked about Griezmann and Thiago, but there's a lot of other things circling and we'll get to that throughout the rest of the summer. So that'll wrap it up. Another edition of the Barcelona podcast. Again, thanks so much for listening to Frances and I. Talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza.